got a phenomenal video team around here. Well, hey, Merry Christmas. It is here. December is upon us. Our, our atrium out there looks phenomenal. We've got our stage decked out like Clark Griswold's house. Uh, Bob and Dave Maroon, our tech team, work night after night getting this thing set up. And you know what? Giving someone a hand. Can we just give them a hand? They work around the clock around here. And so we're, we're appreciative of that. So that's going on. And we're kicking off our Christmas series, 12 Days of Crazy. So that's just recognizing this time of year can get absolutely nuts. And so is the church. We need to be intentional about pressing pause and just reminding ourselves what this time of year is all about. Now, you can't always tell that it's Christmas uh, because the signs are everywhere, right? Whether you've got Christmas decorations up in people's yards, Christmas music is on the radio, your party calendar's filling up. Uh, Santa Claus is showing up in the mall now, so that's cool. Uh, my kids are deeply troubled by the fact that Santa Claus can be at every single mall at the same time. They don't think twice about the fact that he can actually b- deliver presents to every home on the planet in one night, but the fact that he's at every shopping mall for some reason drives them nuts. But with all the advertising and all the publicity, one could argue how in the world could someone really miss Christmas? But the truth is, and we know it, all of us in here are at risk for missing Christmas this year. And if you're anything like me at all, year after year after year, you tell yourself, this is going to be the year I get it right. This is the year I'm going to slow down. But then you turn around and it's back to, the, back to the grind. There's no baby in a manger. There's no silent night. There's no Christmas miracle. And it's time to put the decorations back in the box, which in my opinion is the worst day on the calendar year. Can I get an amen on that? Seriously, and here's what Christmas decorations are for me. You drive into your neighborhood, lights are everywhere, it looks beautiful. Oh, it's so peaceful, it's so calm, I love it. You go into your home, here's my Christmas tree, it looks awesome, it smells good. If you have a real tree, if you have a fake tree, that's a different sermon, I feel bad for you. And then you take the stuff down, you've got stuff up on your mantle, that looks good. And then you step back, and this is, let's take down Christmas decorations. Man, everything looks so good, it's so peaceful, it's so beautiful. You know what we should really do? Let's just put everything in a box and throw it up in the attic. That's a terrible idea. That's like saying, you know what, it gets dark now at 5 o'clock. Let's just all be depressed for the rest of the winter together. But what we've got to be careful of is that time in between when we set up our Christmas decorations and the time that we pack them up. If we're not careful, the best thing that will come out of that is maybe some eggnog. Uh, You heard Wes talk last week, maybe a couple good gingerbread lattes. And you just hope that you don't spend too much money on Christmas presents on your credit card. I don't want that to sound depressing. I know it could. The good news is that folks have been missing the true meaning of Christmas for thousands of years. It's recorded in Scripture, and so that's what we're going to take a look at uh, this morning. And so here's what we're going to do. Very, very simple. We're going to take a look at the first Christmas story ever told, and we're going to look at some of the characters in that story that actually got it right. And then we're going to look at some of those characters in the story that missed it. We're going to see what we can learn, and then we're going to head out of here. So I'm going to pray for us, and we will keep on moving forward. God, I just want to thank you uh, for this morning and just for the time that we've already had, as Chris prayed earlier, just to slow down uh, and, and to, to really point ourselves towards who you are and to what you've done for us. And so in this time together right now, I, I know that there's nothing magical that I can say. And so I just pray that, uh, that, that you would speak through me uh, and more importantly, that you would speak to all of our hearts uh, in a powerful way. Help us to see what it is that you want us to see this Christmas and remind us of what it is that you want us to be reminded of. Uh, Lord, and I pray that we would all leave here changed. Uh, In your name we pray, amen. 
All right, so here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to read verse by verse through any specific Christmas story, uh, but I do want to let you know the passages of Scripture that we're going to be talking out of, okay? So uh, you can write this down. It's also in the message notes section of the app, so you can always go back and check that out this week. But it's Luke chapter 2. We're going to be talking a lot out of that, actually halfway through chapter 1, all the way through chapter 2. And then Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through the second chapter in verse 12. Now, I want to encourage you to do something Spend some time, two to three times a week, over the next few weeks until Christmas, and just read through those passages of Scripture with your family. Two to three times a week, write them down now, or you can open up the app anytime during this series, and they'll be in there, and just read through those. But now we're going to jump into the story, just by show of hands. How many of you would say you know the Christmas story? Just by show of hands, yeah. Okay, I'm going to have you come up, and you can share it, and then, I'm just kidding. Said, Who knows the Christmas story? Just watch the hands go down. Uh, I'm going to talk through it. So here's what happened. There, there was a census, and so that meant everybody had to go back to their roots, their places of origin, where they were from. And so as a result of that, thousands of people uh, were heading back alongside of Mary and Joseph to this tiny little town called Bethlehem. At this point in time, Mary and Joseph already knew that, that Mary was pregnant with the Son of God, and their unique challenge in this situation was that Mary was great with child, is what the Bible says. That's the biblical way of saying that she was nine months preggers, right? She's ready to go at any minute. And she rode to Bethlehem 90 miles on the back of a donkey. To me, that sounds very uncomfortable. My wife told me to tread lightly on that because she said I'll never understand what that means. So I'm not gonna touch it. But finally, <laughs> as a wisdom, man, I've been married 11 years. Uh, but they, they finally get to Bethlehem and they need a place to stay. And so they go to a hotel, they go to an inn, and the innkeeper tells them, I'm sorry, but there's no room at the inn. And so enter into our, our story, the first character that we're going to take a look at this weekend, the innkeeper. Now, the innkeeper gets a bad rap, and understandably so, because Mr. Motel 6 has just told the mother of the Son of God that she has to sleep outside. I, I just would love to be a fly on the wall when Jesus has this conversation with the innkeeper in heaven. I just imagine Jesus just walking down the streets of gold with the innkeeper and look over at him and say, just... You know, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while. There, you remember that time where you told my mom she had to sleep outside? Yeah, so check it out. Like, I'm a gracious God, and I let you in heaven, but that whole mansion thing you were hoping for, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I'm sure you understand that there's no room. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know that's going to be an uncut. But seriously, we, we know that if a man or a pregnant woman came to us, especially if we knew that was the Son of God, uh, that we would make room in the end for them, even if it meant that we had to put someone else out. But before we get too high and mighty, we should ponder for a minute if we don't do the exact same thing. I know each and every one of us, we make decisions in our lives every day as to whether or not we invite Jesus into our lives and to what extent we invite Jesus into our lives. And so if we're talking about not missing Christmas, some of us in here are probably going to have to pull some things out of our lives to make room. So here's the first principle on the innkeeper. Very simple. If you want to make room for Jesus in your life, you're going to have to displace someone or something. You're going to have to. Jesus wants you to find peace. He wants to be in your life. He wants you to find grace. But we constantly fill our lives with other stuff. And so this could be anything for you. I don't know. Maybe it's the busyness of the holidays, going around from party to party, night after night. Maybe it's too much spending, too much shopping. I read a quote this week, and it said this, Advent tells us to be still and to be content. Advent is the waiting period between now and when Jesus is born. Advent tells us to be still 
and to be content, but consumerism tells us to buy our way out of discontentment. That just sound a little bit familiar to some of us? So maybe it's the busyness of the holidays. Maybe it's just the busyness of life. Now, all of us run around from thing to thing anyway. A lot of us are kids. They sit on the throne of our lives, right? And so we go run around from soccer practice to ballet practice to music practice. We constantly give ourselves to our jobs. Day in, day out, and through the night, we get so focused on our work that we don't have time for a relationship with God, much less time for our family, right? And some of us, we just fill our lives with sin. And we know good and well, there's no room for Jesus in there. He's not going to come in, and we don't want to give him space anyway. We're just content with what's in our lives right now. All of us are tempted to fill our lives with stuff that, that bring us immediate gratification. Or maybe we hide behind the light while everybody else is doing it. But the truth is, if you don't want to miss Christmas, if you want to make room for Jesus in your life, you're going to have to displace someone or something. You're going to have to. So that's the innkeeper. Next, we're going to talk about the religious leaders. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time looking at the religious leaders this weekend. We know they're boring, so uh, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time there. But I do want to give you a little bit of background here. The, the religious leaders, they knew uh, for years what the prophet Micah had written in Scripture. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one will be, who will be ruler over all of Israel. So the prophet had already said, God had already spoken that out of Bethlehem, a ruler will rise up from God to be king over Israel. And so the religious leaders of the day knew that, and it's not crazy that they knew it. What's crazy is not one of them were invited to the birth of Jesus. Not one of them. And it's not that they were that far away. They were only five miles away in this place called Jerusalem, so it wouldn't have been a big journey. And so we should ask the question, why were they not there? And I want to suggest to you that it's because they were more caught up in a religion than they were in being humble and being honest before God. They were more caught up in knowing the law. They were more caught up in, in rituals and in tradition. And, and somehow they missed one of the most profound moments in the course of human history. They missed the moment where God sent his son to be born, which is really the first step in overcoming the sins of the world, and they missed it. And so I don't know how you're in here, and maybe you're like the religious leaders, but maybe you've got all the answers. Maybe you come to church all the time. Maybe you're in a small group, you're serving, you're doing the deal. Maybe you tithe, you walked across the stage the other week for Unleashed. You've got this whole thing down. Maybe you've got a bumper sticker, be the change on your car. And all that stuff is extremely important. Except a bumper sticker. That's not extremely important. It's cool if you got one. I got one on my truck. It's not extremely important. But it's okay. But that's not what our faith is about. It's not, and I know some folks who go to Hope, and, and I, I love you, but we have conversations like, yeah, I just, in my spare time, I really just like to focus on, on going deep in the Word and understanding more and more stuff, and I, I just need a ministry that will focus on feeding me and, and pouring into me, and you forget sometimes if you're not careful that our faith is really founded on God looking down into the course of human history and recognizing that some things had gone wrong that we can't fix. And so he sent his son Jesus to put back, to, to restore the things that we couldn't restore for us so that when, when we are restored, we can then find other people in our lives that can't do that for themselves and we're called into serving them. And we miss that. Some of us act like there's a naughty list and a nice list and we treat God like he's Santa Claus. Like if I just do enough good deeds, maybe I can work my way back into a relationship with God. 
None of that stuff will bring you the life that Jesus came to bring you. So here's the principle from the religious leaders. If you worship the religion, you'll miss the person and the power of Jesus. If you focus on keeping the rules, treating your faith like a checklist, you go through the motions, you will miss out on the free gift that Jesus came to bring. And that's the gospel, which is actually foundational to our faith and is foundational to understanding the purpose and the intent and why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. So that's the religious leaders. There's a third group that's represented that missed it by a guy named King Herod. So King Herod was a king. If you don't know anything about King Herod, he was a fearful and a paranoid man who clung to control in his life, so much so that he actually had his mother-in-law, his wife, and his sons murdered because he was fearful that they were gonna try and take his throne from him. So, uh, public service announcement for those of you who do not wanna go spend time with your in-laws this Christmas. It could be worse. Like Herod could be your in-laws. He could be one to murder you. So if it's not that bad, it's a gift. Merry Christmas. Look on the bright side. But because of that, all right, because we knew that happened, you can't be surprised in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, when he finds out that there's a baby that's been born as a king, and he declares an edict that all male children two years and under in Bethlehem be murdered. Paranoia and fear and a desire for control ruined King Herod. And there's people in this room that are a lot like King Herod. Not in every way, but in some ways. Track with me here. You're in one of two spots. You might be in here uh, and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus because you're fearful of what that could mean for you in your life. And you see the crazy fanatics on TV and you say, man, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to be like that in my life. And I get that. Or you think, man, there's no way that I could live up to that standard. There's no way I could follow all those rules. I don't know any Christians that have a good time. And if that's you, I, I want you to understand, I, I'm sympathetic to that. I really am. But I want you to hear me say this. Christianity was never built around you being able to watch some lunatic on television show you what our faith is about. And there's a part of me that just feels like I owe you an apology for even having to see that or go through that. It, if you really want to know what it means to follow Jesus, let me just, I'm just going to offer you some advice. Find somebody in your life who was a Christian. Maybe it's somebody from Hope. Uh, maybe it's the person that invited you. But find someone. Here's what I mean by that. They talk more about Jesus than they even talk about their church. They talk more about Jesus than the good deeds that they do in their life. But find that person and watch their life and just see if you don't see something that's attractive that you might say, man, that's worth continuing investigating. Maybe that is worth something that's worth giving my life to you. So just commit to doing that. Or you're in a second group where you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but there's still some areas in your life that you don't want to hand over full control to God over. So maybe he's called you into taking a big step of faith. And you think, man, that's way bigger than what I'm cut out for. I'm not ready to do that. Maybe there's something in your life that's been a part of who you are for a long time and God is saying, listen, it's, it's time for you to hand that over. And you know it, but it's been a part of who you are for so long, you're scared and fearful of what your life would look like without it. Maybe your identity's wrapped up into it, but regardless uh, of what camp you're sitting in, I want you to know that that desire for control and that fear, it is preventing you from coming to know the freedom that comes from handing over control of your life to Jesus. This is the principle from King Herod. You don't feel the need to strive for control when you realize the one that you're giving it to is greater. 
Tim Chester, he wrote this book called You Can Change It. It sounds like a self-help book. It's not. It's a phenomenal book, and uh, I, I probably use it for about 80% of the pastoral counseling that I do uh, for other people and for myself when I'm trying to pastor myself. But there's four principles that he talks about in the book. God is great, God is good, God is glorious, and God is gracious. He calls them the four Gs, which is very appropriately named. And, but the principle that we're going to talk about, I just want to highlight, there's one principle that says, because God is great, I don't have to be in control. And here's how it goes. If you recognize that God is great, and that great God is the same God that parted the Red Sea for Moses. He's the same God that was with David when he slayed Goliath. He's the same God that was with Daniel when he was in the lines, and he's the same God that overcame sin and death once and for all, and that's the same God that is with you. You don't have to be in control in your life. You don't have to cling tightly to control. And I'm telling you, it, this has revolutionized my faith over the last five or six years. There are times where I used to would lay in bed and worry myself to sleep. And you learn how to actually lay in bed and worship God as you fall asleep because you can trust that because he is great, you don't have to be in control. And if Herod would have realized the greatness of that baby in the manger and the, king that he, the kingdom that he would usher in when he grew up, he wouldn't have been trying to murder him. And if you realize the greatness of that king, you would not be fighting to hand over control of your life. You don't feel the need to strive for control when you realize the one that you're giving it to is greater. Now, those are all things that, that keep us away from the manger, okay? See what I did there? Song, Away in a Manger. Those are things that keep you away from the manger. I know. It's real lame. It's real lame. But you might remember it. So we're going to go with it. These will keep you away from the manger. Busyness. Empty religion and clinging to control. All these things are, are temp temptations for us, especially during the holiday season, but really year in and year out. And so I would encourage you guys just to keep a, pole, uh, keep a toll on those things in your life. So those are the characters that missed it the first Christmas, okay? We're gonna take a look now at some that got it right. And the first group that we're gonna look at are the shepherds. It says this in Luke chapter two, verse eight. And the shepherds were out living in the fields. And there were shepherds living out in the fields. So here's what happened with the shepherds, okay? They were out in the fields taking care of their flocks and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. It says, good news, great news. The savior of the world was born and you'll see it as a sign when you see a baby lying in a manger. So basically the angel of the Lord says, hey, the savior of the world has been born. He's over here in this manger. You guys come take a look. And so the shepherds say, okay, let's go check this thing out. And so they go. But remember we talked about already how there were no religious leaders invited to the birth of Jesus. So I think it's worth recognizing that doesn't, that doesn't completely add up, right? It's the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, no religious leaders, but he's called the shepherds to take a look. And you, you want to talk about lower class. Like shepherds were the lowest of the low. They weren't religious leaders, much less they weren't even allowed in the temple. They were unclean. They had body odor. Nobody wanted them around. And so you ask the question, why the shepherds? Why not a king? Why not a princess? Why not a major power player? I think God's kind of given us a, a subtle reminder here that I hope we can all grasp that when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following him, it's not about a power play. And my hope is that every one of us in this room hear that and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable because it's completely the opposite of the message that our culture tells us every single day. It's not about a power play. I think he chose the shepherds because he knew they would listen. He knew they had space in their life to hear what he, what he had to say. He knew that when he spoke, they would stop 
and they were in a position to stop what they were doing and draw near to him. I'm, I'm borderline fearful in my life that I'm gonna realize one day and look back that there were so many things that God wanted to say to me, but I never heard because I was too busy to stop and to sit down and to listen to what it is that he wanted to say. Psalm 39, six says this, all of a man's busy rushing ends at nothing. He heaps up riches for someone else to spend. And hope that defines so many of us in this room right now. And I don't say that because I want to squash us or because I want to squash you. I say that because I hope that it cuts to our hearts because that's not how we were created to live. We were created to have space in our life to listen to and to hear from our God. The shepherds weren't going anywhere. Their lives weren't too full. They were looking up at the stars. They had margin in their life. And because of that, they were in a position to hear from God, to hear what he had to say and to act on it. And they encountered Jesus in a very real, in a very special way in their life. Here's the principle from the shepherds. Without margin in your life, you will miss out on powerful experiences with God. When's the last time you just took time to listen? And I'm intentionally letting it be quiet after I ask that question. Here's a, here's a Christmas assignment for you that I want you to do this week. Find 30 minutes without your spouse, without your significant other, without your kids running around, without your iPhone, without your iPad, without your iPhone 6 Plus that some of you are carrying around, <laughs> Android tab, whatever that thing is, get away from all that stuff, go outside underneath the stars and just ask God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say? What, what, what was I supposed to learn in 2014? Who are the people in my life that I'm supposed to be connecting intentionally with right now? Who are the people in my life that you're actually pulling me away from when it comes to our relationships? God, what does 2015 look like? What do you want to do and how am I going to be a part of it? And just listen, and I'm telling you, when you do that, God will speak to you, but you've got to do your part by stopping long enough to listen to what it is that he has to say. Without margin in your life, you will miss out on powerful experiences with God. So that's the shepherds. Next, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. Uh, Mary and Joseph were two icons in the, Christ, in the Christian faith. And you want to talk about a crazy call from God? Uh, they had it. They had a crazy call in their life, and they yielded to it. They had their own plan. They were just two young lovers in love. They were going to get married, go do their thing. And God threw them a curveball. Here's what happened. He said to Mary, Mary, I know that you just want to get married to Joseph and have a regular life, but here's the deal. You're going to get pregnant uh, before you're married, but it's cool. It's my son. Don't worry about it. And he's going to be the savior of the world. So she says, okay, I'm thankful that I've found favor with God. She yields to it. She goes to Joseph. God goes to Joseph. Says, Joseph, listen, I know you liked it, and so you put a ring on it. But here's the thing. She's going to be pregnant. Before you get married, don't worry, it's my son. Everything's cool. People are going to look down on her because she's, she's pregnant outside of wedlock. I want you to marry her anyway. I want you to honor her. I want you to walk alongside of her. I want you to serve her when Jesus comes into the world when he's born. Joseph said, okay. He yielded to God. And they, they experienced a Christmas like none of us ever will because they were willing to yield to God's plan. 
We all know what yielding means, right? I mean, we drive and we're kind of doing our own thing. We see a yield sign. If you're like me, you get bummed because that means now you got to look, look out for what else is going on around you. And if somebody wants to kind of come where you want to go, then you have to yield to them. You have to be willing to divert your energy or pause and let something else have their way. We know what yielding means, but we struggle with yielding. I think if we're honest, all of us in this room would say that we struggle with yielding, especially when it comes to the call that God's placed on our lives. And some of us in here, we are committed to doing life our own way. We want to forge our own future. We want to make, our, we want to make the man. We want to do their own thing, forge the future. And God wants to say something to us, and we need to be willing to hear what he has to say. Now, this is something we have to be very careful of in the church because even as pastors and as church leaders, uh, we've got to be careful because we can lift up some pretty high and mighty things. We can lift up some callings that sound very God-honoring, but if we're not careful what, what we lose in the process, or we can actually make ourselves believe in the process, that the means could actually justify the end, which is not true at all when you look at Scripture. All throughout Scripture, God is way more concerned with how we carry ourselves and how we honor God along the way in the process that we carry ourselves with godly character and that we're men and women of integrity and that we're willing to look out for the needs of other people when other people need things that we're willing to stop and pause and help meet their needs at our own expense for the sake of them because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what yielding is all about. And I'm telling you, if you were in here and you're saying, I'm gonna chase after whatever I want to in my life at the expense of I don't care, I'm telling you, you can only go down that road for so long until you end up running off in a ditch and crash and burn. It just doesn't work. Mary and Joseph knew what to do. And so they yielded to God and so he used them in a huge way. Here's the principle. Without obedience and trust in your life, you will miss out on powerful experiences with God. I do want to point out that while Mary trusted God, um, there were without a doubt nights where she wondered, why me? When you want to talk about ill-equipped um, and having strikes against you, uh, Mary was a female, obviously, well, in the first century, uh, that wasn't always the best thing as it relates to, you know, being uh, the ones that folks look to. So she was a woman, uh, as a result of her trust and obedience and her yielding to God's plan, she was pregnant outside of wedlock, so that's strike two. Uh, she also was dirt poor. She was a servant. And so if you're making a list of people who were least likely to be used by God from a human perspective, especially for something like this, Mary would have been on that list. And I tell you that to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were being called to something that's bigger than yourself? Have you ever felt that burden? And I ask that question because our vision as a church is to reach the triangle and change the world. And I believe that this room is filled with people who have said, I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus and I'm willing to yield my life for whatever it is that God's going to call me into. And so it's important for me as, as a pastor here at Hope for you to realize that when you live your life that way, God is going to call you to huge things. And I don't want you to be surprised and I don't want you to doubt that God's in this because God does not always choose the most likely. In fact, consistently in scripture, oftentimes he chooses the least likely. Here's who he chooses, those who are humble. Those who are willing to have margin in their life. Those who are willing to displace things in their life to open up more room for Jesus. Those who are willing to trust what God has to say in his word more than they trust themselves. 
Those are the folks that God uses. And so I, I, I want you to know I, I, I'm 100% convinced God's not going to use you the same way that he used Mary or that he used Joseph. But if you're willing to create margin in your life and trust and obey God, he will ask you to do things and to go on adventures for him that you would never think to ask for. Without obedience and trust in your life, you will miss out on powerful experiences with God. Last group that we're going to take a look at are the wise men. The wise men are a lot of fun. Okay, uh, a lot of theologians uh, agree on this. Uh, they were from most likely uh, either India or from China. There were definitely more than three of them, probably as many as 50, and they were without a doubt not there the night that Jesus was born. Okay, they traveled for a long way. They probably got there a year or two after the fact. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus were in another place at that point. So what this means for you is, and I'm sorry to have to be the bearer of bad news, most of your nativity sets are incorrect. They are, they're wrong, but they're still salvageable. Here's what you do. Take the three wise men and just move them to another room and set them on a random counter somewhere. It's a good idea because then your friends are going to come over and they're going to say, why are the wise men not with everything else? And you can say, listen, it's actually theologically correct to have them there, so I'm sorry that you didn't know that. Every time I go to my mother-in-law's house for Christmas, I do this. I immediately go to her nativity set. I take the three wise men and I put them in a different room. And then I even take baby Jesus out of the manger and go and hide him somewhere else because he's not born until Christmas morning, right? My mother-in-law loves it when I come over for Christmas. It's great. <laughs> we have a great time every year. Matthew chapter 2, uh, it picks up the story, verse 1 and 2. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked this. Now listen to this question. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And uh, you want to know why they didn't miss it, even though they weren't there? They didn't miss that Christmas because they were seeking God. Well, here's the deal with seeking. Seeking is something that all of us should do, whether we're in a relationship with Jesus or not. And so... Uh, if you're here this weekend and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want you to hear me say this. We are glad that you're here. We just are. Our mission as a church is to love people where they are and then encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. But I want you to understand that you are in a safe place. And, and I believe that just by the very nature of you seeking, that you're ahead of the game. I do. Now, what breaks my heart is that there are people who, when they have questions or doubts, they just walk away and they miss out on the whole thing. And people say, well, listen, I, I've studied this a little bit, and there's a lot of stuff that I just don't understand. Hear me say, I'm a pastor, and there are things when it comes to our faith that I don't understand. But that doesn't mean that there's not other things that I don't benefit from. And that's true of all of our life. I mean, there's plenty of things that I don't completely understand, but I receive the benefits from. I do not completely understand internal combustion. But after this service, I'm going to go get my pickup truck, and I'm going to drive home. I love my truck. Internal combustion is kind of how engines work. I just, just throw that out there. I, I don't understand how uh, the, uh, the fully, the chemistry of digestion. I don't. But I ate a lot of bacon for breakfast this morning. <laughs> I love bacon. I, I don't understand, like, all the laws of aerodynamics. But I will get on an airplane, and I will fly somewhere. Against my will a lot of times. It freaks me out. It scares me to death. It's a big metal can that flies through the air with people inside acting like nothing's going wrong, and they're flying through the air going hundreds of miles an hour. It's a freaky thing. But we do it, even if we don't understand, because we know that there's benefits involved. And so when it comes to your faith, man, don't, don't throw everything out just because you don't understand everything. Here's what I would encourage you to do. This would be my ask to you. Stick with us through this Christmas series. 
We got two more weeks. We got this thing called Jingle Jam coming up next weekend, 4.30. If you got a family, bring them to that. We'd love to have you here. And then come and celebrate Christmas Eve with us and just see if God doesn't reveal himself to you. Because here's what I've seen over the years. Just like the wise men, if you are honestly and sincerely seeking God, he will reveal himself to you. He will reveal himself to you. Here's the principle from the wise men. Without consistent pursuit of Jesus in your life, you will miss out on powerful experiences with God. Now, maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time. My hope is that you realize this principle is just as much for you. We find God when we seek him. Now, he pursues us as well. We all know that. Uh, but it's a relationship. So it goes both ways. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And if you want to experience Christmas this year for what it's intended to be, you have to seek God. You have to seek him with all your heart. And that's why, again, our mission as a church is to love people where they are, but then encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. We should all be seeking. We should always be growing. The principle for the wise men, without consistent pursuit of Jesus in your life, you will miss out on powerful experiences with God. Now, here's how the story ends for the wise men uh, as they find Jesus. This is what it says, and I, I absolutely love this part of the story. It says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. They saw Jesus. It says, they bowed down and they worshiped him, and they returned to their country by a different route. Now, that, them returning by, to a different route, what that is is they knew that if they went back the same way, they would have ran into Herod, and they knew Herod had it out for this baby, so they went back a different route. But I want you to understand that once you come into contact with Jesus Christ and you get to know him personally, when you come to know that thing that the majority of us have in our lives that tell us that our lives are not really what they're supposed to be and we probably missed the mark and we've got some brokenness in our own life that we probably need to own, when you start to realize the world around you is really no different, it's just a summation of all that brokenness, all of our stuff, right? And we see the things in our lives that don't seem natural and that cause confusion like sickness and death. When you really realize that it seems like the whole earth is really just crying out for a savior to restore it back to what it's really supposed to be. And when you recognize that Christmas is God looking down into that and recognizing there's no way that we can fix this thing ourselves. There's no way we can make it right. And, and heaven burst open and his son Jesus comes down to teach us the way to live. And then because of that brokenness in our lives that we can never get back our relationship with God, the penalty that comes along with that, Jesus says as an adult, you know what, I will take that penalty to the cross and I will die the death that you deserved and I will take that sin and death down into the ground and I will rise again three days later once and for all and forever overcoming sin and death so that you can have new life. When you come to know that and you come to know that that starts with this baby in a manger, you will bow down and worship. And you will not miss Christmas. And your life will never be the same. The, the whole point of this message is, <clears throat> was to help us not to miss Christmas. And so the reality is, if you don't want to miss Christmas this year, and, and you should write this down, and then I'll unpack it, but the only way to not miss Christmas this year is to recognize that that baby in the manger is the Son of God. It's the only way. 
I mean, you look at the characters that we talked about. You look at the innkeeper. If the innkeeper would have realized that that baby that Mary was carrying was ultimately the savior of the world, he would have done anything he could to open up room for them to come in. If the religious leaders would have realized who this baby was, who Jesus was, and that they didn't have to go through life pretending like they had everything on the outside put together only for them to be died on the inside. And if they would have realized that Jesus actually came to make right that which their good intentions and their good deeds could never fix, their posture towards God and towards other people would have been completely different. If Herod would have realized that that baby that was born to be a king was gonna usher in a kingdom of hope and of love and joy and peace and contentment, so much so that you don't have to cling to control in your own life. He wouldn't have been trying to murder the baby. And we're talking here about not missing Christmas, but here's the deal. I, I, I don't want you to miss life. I don't want you to go through life thinking that it's constantly about filling yourself with more stuff and more stuff and more stuff and bigger cars and bigger houses and the next vacation and the next toy, only to find out that that's going to lead you to more and more of the same emptiness. I don't want you to go through life thinking that our faith, Christianity, is about the checklist and making sure that you're getting everything right and making sure that when everybody looks at you, it looks like you have everything all together or that you can actually earn your way back to God and completely miss out on the fact that it is a free gift from God through his son, Jesus. And I don't want you to go through life waking up every day thinking that you have to cling to control in your life and to manipulate and control your way into a healthy lifestyle because that road will only lead to death and not the life that Jesus came to bring you. So I don't want you to miss Christmas. I don't want you to miss life. I don't want you to miss Monday morning where I'm convinced that you can wake up regardless of your circumstances with peace and with hope because of that baby being born. I want you to find life now and for all of eternity. You look at the ones who got it right in the story, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, and the wise men. They all knew that baby was a king. That came from margin. It led to trust and constant pursuit. But the outcome of that was to bow down and worship. I asked my son, Aiden, he's six years old. I asked him four days ago. I said, Aiden, what, what, why do we celebrate Christmas? And you know, as a dad, I'm just hoping he says Jesus, right? That's what I want him to say. And uh, listen to what he says. Um, he says, yeah, dad, I know why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because that's when Jesus was born. As a baby. But he came not just to stay a baby. He came to be a king, but not just a regular king, not a king with a crown. He came to be like the king of the nations. He came to save the world. And uh, I, <laughs> I heard that, and my eyes just welled up, and there's so much I wanted to say, and I couldn't. I just pulled his head in. I said, buddy, you're, you're so right. My six-year-old's preaching to me. <laughs> And, um, you know, this stuff is so simple that a six-year-old can get it. And we run around here and miss Christmas. We fill our lives with stuff. We make our faith about stuff that it's not. We cling to control. If you don't want to miss Christmas this year, 
It happens by bowing to a baby who is ultimately the Son of God. And that Son of God is the Savior of the world. The only way to not miss Christmas is to recognize that the baby in the manger is the Son of God. Let's pray together. God, I just want to, um, I want to thank you for a time where we can just pause for a moment. And in the midst of a busy season, just reflect ultimately on who you are and what you've done for us. And so I pray that just right now as we're kind of sitting here in a moment of peace, that you would allow us to reflect on that, that you would open our hearts and our minds to that. And maybe for some of us, this would be the first Christmas where we ever really grasp what really happened when you sent your son to be born as a baby in a manger. And God, on the practical side, would you just uh, help us to see the areas uh, in our life where we're just filling our lives with more and more stuff, so much so that there's not even um, any space for you to come in and reveal yourself to us and change our lives. And help us to, to realize the areas in our life where we might just be putting on a front and living behind knowing all the answers and just going through the routine of coming to church, checking the boxes, missing out on your grace, missing out on the gospel. And I pray for, that you would help us to see those areas in our life where we're constantly looking to control and to manipulate outcomes when there's so much freedom in just recognizing that you're a good and great king that's in control. God, help us to see those things. Help us to let go. God, most importantly, above all this, I pray that um, you would help us to recognize this Christmas that in the midst of all that's going on, that you looked down and you saw a broken world and you sent your son to be our savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.